0: Good morning and welcome to another Spirecast episode. We're excited uh, to have you join us today. Um, Spirecast is a new uh, opportunity that uh, Spire has uh, created to keep you in uh, the know on uh, some of the latest uh, leadership. Uh, and um, uh, important important information uh, that uh, would be important for uh, leaders to know throughout the country. Today, we are excited to have Jerry Harris with us from uh, the Crossing uh, Church. Jerry's going to be joining us just in a few minutes. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, his uh, Talk at the Spire virtual conference and virtual conference 2020 and uh, ways that uh, we can continue to be thinking about church leadership and church growth from that. So I'd like to bring in Jerry Harris, if we could. Jerry is the lead pastor at The Crossing in Quincy, Illinois. I say Quincy, Illinois, but the truth is there are 11 locations in close proximity to Quincy and actually involving three different states. And so there's an awful lot of challenge there with regard to leading such a large staff as well as multiple locations. But we're super excited to have Jerry with us today to talk a little bit about his Talk from the 2020 virtual conference, which was wrecking the rural roof. Uh, and <laughs> so excited to be able to talk a little bit about that, Jerry. Welcome. Uh, tell me how how have the how have folks at the Crossing been? How's your staff been in the early part year of 2021?
1: Good. Uh, we've been doing very well, and I'm very bullish about the future. I think that there's a uh, differences depending upon you know where you are in the country, what your ministry setting is. Um, there may be some general rules that we might see as, as we're looking, but in the rural areas, particularly where we are, um, there it was a greatly diminished uh, effect that, uh, that we felt. It was interesting that Quincy, Illinois was actually on the New York Times top 10 list for worst places uh, having to do with COVID. Mm. Uh, and that was only about uh, five or six weeks ago. Mm. Uh, and uh, you would have never known it though if you live here. So right. uh, it's interesting. we were also the number the the Adams county, our county was the number one county uh, for vaccinations. So we were mm. running ahead of every other county in Illinois with people getting vaccinated. so, uh, it hasn't affected us in in uh, nearly the way I think it's affected a lot of churches. This last weekend, uh, we were uh, 72.5% of our uh, pre-COVID uh, attendance number at uh, a live location. That's great. So, uh, yeah, we're doing fine there. And um, uh, I, I'm expecting that we'll be somewhere around 85% when uh, we hit Easter, before Easter. And then we'll be chasing strays after that uh, mm-hmm. to get back to live locations. Uh, and of course, we've had great enhancement with regards to our, uh, our online uh, presence and what we've been doing there. So we're, we're, we're in great shape. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel very, very optimistic, very bullish about our future.
0: That's fantastic with so many with so many locations and in with so many different states, uh, different uh, regulations, different guidelines, different uh, you know numbers of what you know who can come back and how many can come. That is, there has to just be some incredible challenges uh, that you and your team uh, have been facing through this season.
1: We did. Uh, Missouri was uh, very was very open. Interestingly, though, one of our Missouri locations, Kirksville, Missouri, is now. Uh, the most restrictive, not because mm-hmm. of the state, but because of city regulations, mm-hmm. and uh, they they're still what they they're requiring one hundred percent mask wearing in a church setting environment. So, like, you can't take your mask off to to sing or or something like that. And we do our very best uh, to be in good relationship with the uh, uh, county boards of health. Uh, but you know, Missouri had its rules. Oh, Iowa, mm-hmm. we're in Iowa, and Iowa had. Uh, uh, not very much in the way of restriction through the process. Illinois, uh, very restrictive, uh, but uh, we're downstate in Illinois and uh, in a rural area in Illinois. And so a lot of those rules and regulations just really didn't reach down here. And uh, there's a lot of state law that, that affects that. And uh, our governor was taken to court over some of that and had to release restrictions on churches pretty early. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know that's different in other states, but that's kind of our circumstance.
0: I know it's been difficult uh, all over. Um, And um, if you are, uh, you know, in in a rural church, a lot of the things today that that Jerry's going to share from his talk and some of the questions that we get to have afterward are going to be really great for you. Uh, But if you are maybe in a little bit more of a metropolitan uh, setting, I guarantee that there are folks who are coming in or that are crossing your path that are from more of a rural location as well. And so I think there's some great things that Jerry shares in his uh, virtual conference 2020 talk that are pertinent for every leader, and so excited to go ahead and uh, take a look at uh, that talk now.
1: Jesus spent a disproportionate amount of time bringing life to these rural, relatively small towns. He brought vitality to places otherwise marked by poverty, dysfunction, and abuse. Just think about it for a minute. He brought meals to the starving, health to the hurting and sick, companion to the lonely, and salvation to the lost. And the need today in rural America for a visitation of Jesus Christ is no different. Sadly, our rural communities are often marked by dilapidated church buildings, sleepy programming, and burned out pastors. How encouraging is it that Jesus paid attention to the unincorporated, the people who, while not less than, were out of focus to everybody else, carpenters and fabricators, farmers and welders, regular people. The question becomes, will the people of God, like Jesus, choose to invest themselves into the same beautiful, rustic spaces? Are we willing to get off the pavement of upscale traditional ministry and onto the gravel roads of the rural church? Or are we indifferent to the plight of the church in the little places, unable or unwilling to see their incredible potential, and unwilling to do a pioneering work in the places forgotten to so many? It's possible that a new generation of leaders might break up these spiritual ghost towns, not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power. It's so great to connect with you today. You're committed leaders catalyzing eternal change across the country and around the world. I want to thank Spire for giving me an opportunity to share with you about the demographics of my ministry calling, as well as so many others across the country. Forgotonia. Would you believe that's a real place? The place is real, but the name was more of a publicity stunt. It was adopted by 14 counties in West Central Illinois that were intentionally neglected by the state and federal government with regards to interstate and rail service in the early 1970s. Without interstate highway access, it was denied decent transportation for commerce as other towns and cities benefited from them. Businesses and not-for-profit entities just dried up and left the area and calls for fair treatment with regards to tax dollars for infrastructure fell on deaf ears in government. So one man, Neil Gam, came up with a stunt to get the attention of the country. He started petitions in 14 Illinois counties to choose to declare its independence from America and become an independent country. He did this for the purpose of declaring war and then promptly surrendering, making uh, the area eligible for foreign aid under the law. Gam even went so far as to declare a capital, Fandon, Illinois, a ghost town, and a flag, a white one for surrender. For a time, Gam got some attention for this stunt, but a year later, Forgotonia reverted back to its namesake lost to the tax dollars and attention that flowed unabated to the larger cities. Over the last 40 years, West Central Illinois and Northeast Missouri have been slowly receiving the attention that produces the infrastructure that other cities have been enjoying, but it's really never caught up with the larger cities. The question is, what can God accomplish in places like this with the right leader? The answer is great things. You can ask Matt Merrill in Washington, Indiana, and now Vincennes, Indiana. You might ask Daryl Land in Jasper or Ligoti, Indiana. You could ask Jim Putman in Post Falls, Idaho. The Crossing, has gone from a small traditional church of 230 22 years ago to a church of over 7,000 in 11 locations across three states. We've baptized over 5,000 people in the last six years. And COVID-19 hasn't taken hold of the church in the rural areas like in the metro ones. Jesus came from a place just like this. You could use Bethlehem as an example. Population, just a few hundred when Jesus was born. He grew up in Nazareth population of about 480. He chose Capernaum, population 1,500. He chose an insignificant country, Israel. He chose insignificant people like David, like shepherds at his birth, like fishermen, tax collectors, and prostitutes to be his disciples. Why wouldn't he choose places like that today? It would be just like him. And his disciples changed the world from places like this And so can we empowered by his spirit? Now, I want us to zero in on the little town of Capernaum and an incredible story of risk and sacrifice and great reward recorded in Mark 2, 1 through 12. It says a few days later, Jesus again entered Capernaum and the people heard that he'd come home. Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now, there were some big risks taken in this story. The four men took a risk by destroying a perfectly good roof. Jesus took a huge risk by being accused of blasphemy. Even the paralytic took a risk, being willing to risk even further injury. It made me ask the question of myself, what have I ever really risked to help someone who desperately needed it? I think about all the cost and fears associated with that story. What have I been willing to give up? What would motivate me to take a risk? What lines would I cross? You know, the truth is, much of my life is lived out of sight, out of mind. That's how I would see the people packed in to hear Jesus speak that day. See, they were more concerned about seeing Jesus themselves than someone else seeing him but not these four friends. Would I do whatever it takes to reach people who are far from God? Would I do fresh things and fresh ways to reach people no one else is reaching? Would I take big faith-filled risks and never insult God with small thinking or safe living? To many of us, rural places and people are like that. They're out of sight, out of mind. If there's not a Target or a -A, (laughs) Chick-fil-A, I'm out. People aren't any different. We live our lives surrounded by people on mats, spiritual mats. They may be paralyzed in their marriage or their family or their job or in their social relationships. Today, they are paralyzed by fear. And now with COVID more than ever. They live day after day in the same repetitive cycle without the answers that only the gospel can give them without someone making an effort to change the status quo, there won't be any change in that. Who do you see around you today? And if you don't see them, why not? Is there a roof in the way? Is it a roof of your own personal priorities? Things that mostly focus back on you? I believe the truth is that we're our own biggest obstacle when it comes to truly making a difference because the roof is inside of here. We need a breakthrough. A breakthrough is when an obstacle becomes an opening. These four guys made a literal breakthrough through a very real roof. Today's rural churches need a breakthrough, but it won't be easy. Never forget that with every breakthrough, there is a pile of rubble on the floor that was once part of an important construction. There had to be a time of strategy in the story. I think about the guy that came up with this crazy plan and the work he had to do to convince his friends. Maybe you need some convincing about rural ministry. Rural churches can have a big influence in the community. You don't have to be as creative because older ideas are completely fresh in rural communities. You also have access to cheap technology. City churches, well, they're upgrading their equipment And there are tons, tons of unaffected and disconnected people in rural communities. Buildings and property are often found at bargain basement prices. You can instantly become a hub for the community. And you'll get plenty of free media attention, trust me. It's a reproducible model that works so well with multi-site strategy, mergers, acquisitions. And all of that together can make that ministry an evangelistic magnet. All that to say that targeting rural or micropolitan communities might be an unlikely strategy, but it has proven to be a great strategy to wreck the roof and get more people to Jesus. But at some point, it had to become more than just talk. Those four friends had to get up on that roof and start wrecking it. There comes a time when we can't just sit there anymore. We can't just talk about it. We have to take action. Now there was nothing supernatural or miraculous about what they did, but it opened the door to that very thing. And it's the same for us now. We're not gonna just sit here. We're gonna have to do something about it. There has to be a moment where declaration turns into demonstration. Now, here are four lessons from this story that I think applies to the church today. Number one, you know, I see a church more concerned about being inside than those people who are outside. I wonder if that might describe some of our churches today. Are we more concerned about being inside than those people being outside, that are outside outside? We have to be more outwardly focused and I see that in this story. I see four men. Here's the second thing. I see four men more concerned about their friends seeing Jesus than they are seeing Jesus themselves. When are we going to be more concerned about others seeing Jesus than seeing him ourselves or getting the thing that makes us more comfortable? The context where ministry is easier for us. Maybe we need to give those things up because there's so many that haven't heard, that haven't responded. Number three, I see these four guys turning an obstacle into an opportunity. Wow. I mean, this is just an incredible story. How do you see your obstacles today? Because maybe they're just cleverly disguised opportunities. If we could get past the negative thinking And start thinking about what God might do in this situation. Maybe we'd see more opportunities and we'd see less obstacles. But the thing I see that's the greatest. Is I see a paralyzed man walking home. I mean that's miraculous. And you know what? In rural communities I see that every week. I can't remember when we haven't had a baptism in over 10 years. Every week paralyzed people walk home. Every week, God does a greater miracle in one of our locations than he did that day. Because you know, that paralyzed man end up, ended up dying with, and not having the use of his legs. But the things that we do, the things that we do in our churches, they last for eternity. I want to challenge you today to consider that vision. I want you to imagine yourself making a major impact in what might be considered a really unlikely place. Stretch out in Jesus' name. Thanks.
0: Well, thanks, Jerry, really great. It, it was as great as I when it was originally broadcast. And uh, really enjoy uh, your thoughts, and really enjoy uh, just the, the way that you incorporate that story into um, really inspiring uh, us to be able to think beyond um, maybe our metropolitan uh, mindsets, and maybe uh, to, to to be able to think in terms of what we what we can do uh, to uh, to reach those uh, lost around us, even in in a, in the rural setting. I had a, just a couple of quick questions, and I'm going to ask everybody uh, who's uh, viewing and, and watching today. If you have some questions for Jerry, just go ahead and uh, put those in the comments section. We'll be happy to get to your question. Uh, but I thought um, um, maybe you could just share with us, uh, Jerry, you know how how we can best invest in the rural church, in rural communities, Uh, that that we either serve in or or we serve near? How can we best invest in them um, uh, in in
1: particular? So when you're talking about investing, uh, you're talking about a leader investing in a rural community, I think number one, go big or stay home. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, People in rural communities, they live in close proximity with each other. So uh, I grew up in a, I grew up in on the west side of Indianapolis. So uh, you could go to a movie theater. You wouldn't see anybody you knew. You went to the grocery store. You didn't see anybody you knew <laughs> you, you did. I mean, you could really have a lot of anonymity in a, uh, in a metropolitan area or near metropolitan area. That's not the case in micropolitan or rural communities. People know one another. And, um, uh, there has, there is a, a different level of, uh, of caring and of, uh, of community uh in those settings uh than there are in uh metropolitan settings people know one another i mean depending on the size of your community if you're living in that community people probably know if you're driving where you're coming from and where you're going and when you are liable to be back so uh people get in one another's business a lot more and uh and so the uh the investment that you have to make uh, is you need to live in that community. You need to invest in that community. Uh, and uh, that's why, I mean, we broke every rule of church planting when we did what we did in our communities. Because, uh, you know, we didn't go into small spaces and try to grow the church. Instead, what we did was we made big investments, uh, which were high risk choices, uh, to show the community that we were there to stay, that we weren't going to be somebody that could pull out of that community as quickly as we rolled in. And um, and I think that was one of the big things that, uh, that really helped us, that we leveraged a lot on the front end. And so I think when you think about investing in a community as a leader, I mean, it's, it's all in.
0: Yeah, I, I like that "go big or go home" kind of idea. And you talk about risking big uh, in the talk. Uh, maybe you can share just a little bit, in particular, what type of things were big risks that you've seen, um, you know, get the most return from in reaching people. What maybe things in particular uh, were were big risks that you can remember taking?
1: Well, you know, vision is uh, is I think best communicated in decisions. Uh, When we did that here, our, before we went multi-site, we were just a little church at 230 and we invested and bought a, uh, a community college campus. So it was 22 acres and 64,000 square foot under roof. And we had no way of knowing how we would even use that space. So we made a, we made a big choice early on. And then our first multi-site was a, um, a former grocery store that was 57,000 square feet, 60 miles away from Quincy. So we didn't know anybody in that town. Uh, And, uh, you know, we made that big investment um, and uh, people were enthralled by that. There's not a lot that happens in a town. I mean, Macomb's a town of 13,000 permanent residents. And um, we were on the front page six times before we opened. So, um, uh, you know, those kinds of investment were, were pivotal for us. That kind of decision-making is pivotal for us. It's risky. Uh, but we had a set of leaders that were really wanting to take new ground and, uh, we've never really, uh, slowed down that much in that in, in the process. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been opening campuses ever since. And the reason is we, there's not, uh, it's not a competitive environment. Um, uh, Rural churches and micropolitan churches tend to have an incredible amount of inertia. Uh, it, it's too hard for them to make these kinds of decisions uh, to to do innovative things. and uh, and so they get stuck in the traditions of their past. And so uh, those churches don't uh, don't tend to, attract younger people. They don't attend, they don't really become vibrant. And so if we go into a community like that and we launch big, it's very exciting for people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, they, they flock to it. So um, I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but that, you know, that's something that uh, I think is worth telling.
0: Mm, Absolutely. I love that. I love the breakthrough imagery uh, that you use. I love the idea that there's going to be a mess, right? There's going to be a mess that happens, but you're also going to get through those barriers, and I, I didn't know if maybe there was a there was a story you could share just about a breakthrough that you or your team had in reaching out to a community, a rural community in particular. Maybe some story where there was both that amazing breakthrough, the barrier, maybe a mess was involved, but that the payoff was uh, was
1: was found in uh, being willing uh, to, to 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 achieve the breakthrough. Well, one of the big issues for us was technology. So uh when we first did this it was around 2006 that we launched our first location we didn't have the technology the technology really didn't exist in our area to stream so because it was still dial up and uh we didn't have we didn't have any internet speed and we didn't really and we had adopted life church's model so we really valued live uh Live and and uh, we actually had a tech guy at the time that uh discovered a technology that was being used for like uh hazard signs in Chicago and uh that that that, that was it was like it was like they how they would stream to hazard signs and use we used that to actually stream our services back when it was standard definition mm-hmm. and uh and it worked great. When we went to high definition, we had a huge mess. But, I mean, think about this. We were launching a location spending a lot of money and didn't even have the technology to pull it off. Mm-hmm. But, it, but we had it by the time we actually were able to launch. And that was a mess. That's a scary time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when we went from standard definition to high definition, that technology completely failed us and uh and so we had another mess on our hands And we eventually what we had to end up doing was uh getting satellite dishes buying satellite time installing dishes at locations and we did that until uh, uh fiber caught up with us now of course we're all back to uh uh that kind of technology i think we use resi technology and and it's uh it's you know high definition on demand however you want it but I mean uh, we make it we've made a lot of decisions that were so forward thinking that if God didn't intervene we were just going to have a I mean and we did have messes we had huge messes but but uh, people in rural communities appreciate the effort and they'll stick with you as a matter of fact if you don't just keep doing that over and over they actually get excited about when you're failing in front of them. Mm-hmm. And like they, they'll refuse to fail, and that's like when their faith goes like way up. It's, it's really hmm. pretty neat.
0: Hmm. Interesting. We have a comment from uh, uh, Roger Weaver. I just wanted uh, to throw out that uh, Tulia, Texas. Uh, has acquired a a 4,500-square-foot building on the square downtown and and a population of 6,000, and they've uh, gone ahead and commenced their uh, renovations. Uh, So, again, a a great little story about um, a community or a church that's risking high uh, in order to reach uh, their community so we can be uh, in in prayer for uh, the work there in Tulia. I have a question here from Jocko Jans Van Rensburg. He asks, what would you say is the minimum requirement Requirement for your church to start out in a rural
1: community? Is that a local leader? Or what do you initially put your faith out for? That's, that's a, where you choose to start? Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, uh, there's been an evolution in how we viewed church. And we, uh, we, we aren't, we're not particularly smart people. So uh, we, a lot of this stuff we backed into. We didn't walk into it with our eyes wide open. We didn't have any idea. I'll give you an example. So when I first started doing this, our first one, 2006, our next one, 2007, we thought that we could only go to communities over 10,000 and we needed a, a space that was this big and we need to have this many seats in our auditorium. And uh, we, we had all these ideas about what our DNA was, our brand was. And um, it was not until our fourth location – Uh, that we discovered something new. And um, uh, that was never intended to be a location. It was in Quincy. It was in a a downtown in a more economically challenged area. And uh, one of our guys on staff at the time was running Celebrate Recovery, and he wanted a long-term discipleship program for people going through recovery, like where they could live. And uh, there were these two buildings. One of them was an old shotgun German-speaking Lutheran church, uh, and then this uh, the second building behind it was like their fellowship area. And the the property was only like sixty five thousand dollars. And he said, "Could we do this? Convert it and turn it into this long term living space uh, for discipleship?" I thought it was a great idea. So uh, we bought the we bought the facility. Uh, paid cash for the facility and started doing some renovation and the city actually the, the community around the, these buildings decided to rise up against us and said, we don't want people that are going through alcohol and drug recovery, living in our neighborhood in this fashion. And I remember going, well, so what are we, what are we going to do? I mean, we don't want to like be against the community we're in. Mm-hmm. So, um, we pivoted and said, well, it's already zoned as a church. Well, it's just, We'll just open a church there. I mean, it's not what we thought church was. So we opened this church. We ended up spending about another $50,000 to uh, put all our packaging in to make it look like us. So we only had like hundred and fifteen dollars in the building. And uh, there was maybe 150 seats total in the balcony and down below. And that church started to grow like mad. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, we didn't have, we just had two guys that were on uh, the other church staff that were coming down there and like running services on the weekend. And that church grew to be 500 people. Um, And these were people that would drive past our big location to go to this small location. Mm -hmm. And this is what we learned in that. We learned that people in our area will give up amenity for community, mm-hmm. that they wanted community more. They wanted to go to church in their neighborhood. They wanted to invite their friends. And the vibe in that space was incredible. It was amazing. And, uh, and it's you know thriving uh, even now in the midst of COVID, just thriving like crazy. I was there uh, attending one of their services a couple of weeks ago. It's just as great. It's just awesome. So what that taught us is we could actually go into smaller spaces, things that we thought were our DNA really weren't our DNA. And um, uh, we changed our metric to go down. We're in we're in one community that's only 125 people. Hmm. And we have a church that runs more than the community, but it's just in a rural area. And that was an acquisition, million-dollar building. They just handed us the keys to Hmm. so um, uh, we learned a lot from that facility on, you can go into really small spaces and medium-sized spaces, and of course, that opened up a whole panorama of spaces that we could bring our church, our particular way of doing church, and I want to add one thing to this, if it's not too much. Uh, I was at a, a meeting in New York, uh, with uh, Jim Tomberlin and Todd Wilson we're running this meeting, and they were probably maybe a dozen or so leaders. And uh, one of the leaders there was a guy named David Ashcraft, and he is a, a pastor at LCBC Church in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. LCBC used to be Lancaster County Bible Church, not a Restoration Movement Church. Uh, and now it's, uh, they've branched out multi-site, and now it's Lives Changed by Christ. And he was trying to figure something out because they couldn't figure out how to export their church into other locations without spending $8 million. They said the minimum amount of money that we need for our DNA to be transported into another location is $8 bucks. Hmm. And his vision was to have 100 churches in Pennsylvania. And he was trying to figure out how we were doing it so cheap. And I wrote a book about it called Micropolitan Church about 10 years ago. And he had read that book and he wanted to talk to me. He was one of the guys at this meeting. And I said, you just need to come out. And he brought 13 people out. And this is a church that's 18,000 people. It's a big church. And uh, he brought uh, 13 of his lead staff out. And he was struggling. Like he was, I was taking him to different locations, showing him stuff. And he was struggling. And he got to that one location, the one I just told you about, 929. Mm-hmm. And he and he and he pulled together his lead team and he goes, you know what? We know how to do this. This is how we started the church. Mm-hmm. And they completely revamped their launch program for their multi-sites across Pennsylvania. And what were able they were able to drop the cost of location by 75%. So uh, this thing uh, this idea of being able to like connect rural church uh, ministry with, micro, with, uh, with multi-site ministry has got incredible potential. Like maybe there are people like that are listening and they're in maybe a suburban area or they're in, uh, and they're, I've got a bunch of guys that have come here with their lead teams about this, but they see these rural areas around them. And they want to be able to get into those communities. Well, I believe that now is the time. If there was ever a time, Mm -hmm. church needs to be more distributed than ever before. It needs to be, uh, it, it doesn't need to be as monolithic as it used to be. I mean, remember these like huge juggernauts of churches in one location. I think that, we need to break. Like I would not right now. I I don't, I don't want to say never, but I will never build another uh, location with an auditorium that seats more than four hundred. I would, uh, you know, because a smaller location and more of those mm-hmm. are, are are better. So this guy that that uh, uh, wrote in and said he's got sixty five hundred square feet. You can do a lot with sixty five hundred square feet in a town like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, and right now, I tell you, post COVID, there's going to be a lot of buildings for sale.
0: Mm, true.
1: So <laughs> this is a good opp- this is a great opportunity for a church renaissance. I really believe. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my opinion. Great words. great word. I think we're going to see uh, not only some consolidation,
0: uh, but you know, also the opportunity. Mm-hmm. For um, for for us to become much more localized, right? Much more intentional about uh, being. Uh, That's it, such an interesting story that you share about uh, the the larger church coming not being able to um, reproduce themselves for less than you know the eight million dollar mark. Uh, sometimes we get so busy. Doing the things that we're doing, we get so busy with programs, we get so busy that we forget those essentials. We forget that, hey, wait a second, this is how the church started, right? Or this is how, uh, this is what evangelism means. And I love in the four lessons section of your talk, really uh, talking about, you know, getting to that point where introducing people to Jesus has to be that passion, has to be that point of, of, of go, has to be the reason why we, uh, why we do, uh, Uh, something like step into a rural community and take a big risk. Um, So maybe you can just share a little bit. How do you keep your staff evangelistic in their mindset? How do you specifically help them focus on introducing people to Jesus?
1: Well, you have to, it has to become a high value. And um, uh, we valued this for a long time, like in our services, uh, one component of our service. Now we incorporate it into one of our uh, worship songs, but we will always show last week's baptisms. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, we do a uh, we the way we we uh, film that montage is um they're always black and white, and uh, when they come out of the water, it goes to color. Mm. Um, the, we, we, uh, focus in on what happens. We don't focus on what happens pre bab pre going down in the water. We focus on what happens after that. So like, uh, in the water, you'll see people come up and they got this smile on their face and they start hugging the people that are baptizing them. And we show the joy of that. And I think it's been 13 years at the crossing since we had a weekend without a baptism. So we normally have probably 10 to 15 a weekend and it'll say, you know, this campus, this campus, this campus, and our people celebrate it. Uh, I mean, they're hollering, they're clapping, they're excited when they see it. So congregationally it's valued uh, from a staff perspective. It's valued. I think I mentioned in the, in the talk that like 5,000 baptisms in the last six years And um, 90% of those are adults. Mm. Mm. So it's not, you know, and, and, you know, I'm the, I'm the publisher of Christian standards. So I have the opportunity to see like the metrics of what our churches are doing. Mm -hmm. And um, you can say that you're evangelistic, but your numbers should reflect it. Right. And, uh, and so that, that is a, uh, that's our number one uh, core value. Uh, that we'll do whatever it takes to reach people far from God. I mean, that's just what we'll do. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, like, you have to be intentional in your services. Uh, you you have to you have to speak in plain language so people understand that you can't lose people that are committed in your teaching. Uh, but you have to recognize, like, uh, every week. Like, if you we have communion every week, so that means every week you have to explain what it is. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we're we're expecting that there's a lot of people there that have no idea what you're talking about. I've I've taught my staff. Uh, tell me, what was your first experience going into a Muslim mosque? Mm-hmm. Well, most of them have never done that before. Right. But but how would you feel? I mean, if you walked into something that was completely strange from a l- religious standpoint, you wouldn't know anything. You wouldn't know what to do, where to stand, when to get, when to. You wouldn't know, you know, and you'd be so scared that you're just going to look foolish. And I, I, I'm saying that in the American church today, in a post-Christian culture, people have no idea. They have no idea. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be able to make things uh, as plain and as accessible as possible. And at the same time, not dumb it down so far that, you know, committed believers uh, can't Uh, connect with what you're doing. Um, But I would say another thing that we teach at the crossing is that uh, we measure maturity, Christian maturity by uh, four words. And that is, it's not about you. If you're still a consumer, if it's still all about you, then you're, you're not mature as a believer. So uh, we set one of our core values is that we will, uh, give up the things that we love to reach a generation that we love even more. That's our second core value. And, um, uh, and so mature believers don't get frustrated that we're not doing something that we did in 1975. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's only, I mean, things that we did, a lot of churches are only relevant to the dead.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and we need to be relevant to the people that are around us. And I think that's why a lot of churches are dying because they can't do that. They can't make that pivot. And that's why going into a rural community with some kick-butt church is so exciting because mm-hmm. there's nothing else going on. And uh, people, they, and they're they curious, and they want to see what it's like, and they want to talk to their friends about it. So they they come and they share Um And it's awesome. You know, it's incredible when that happens. Mm -hmm. I know at Quincy, Illinois, is a very Catholic community. That's eight parishes and uh, high school, elementary schools. And I know that uh, the Catholic churches in Quincy, actually, if you go to a a crossing, uh, you have to do penance to go back to the Catholic church.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, you have to say this many Our Fathers Mm -hmm. and this many, Hail Mary's because you actually went to the crossing. <laughs> so, I mean, because it's some completely out of their norm. Anyway, I'm getting mm-hmm. a little tangential, but there you go.
0: Well, appreciate, appreciate those thoughts. Really some great things. I'd love to have more time to just unpack a few of those things with you, Jerry, to be honest, and appreciate um, uh, not only your leadership at The Crossing, uh, but also um, I failed to mention at the beginning that you are also a publisher of The Christian Standard. And uh, so as a, a leader and staying in contact with so many leaders and churches around the country, your point of view and point of vision for a lot of the things that we talk about today is is really important, and so we are grateful for your willingness to uh, to come and be a part of this Spirecast. Thank you for your talk at the virtual conference uh, 2020. Thank you for all that you do for Spire Network and to continue to do. Thank you for your leadership at the Crossing and and for also uh, the work you do with the Christian Standard. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to bring you this Spirecast today as we continue at Spire Network to uh, bring. Uh, the resources and uh, to inspire leaders who lead healthy growing churches. We hope that you'll continue to join us on our Spire casts. They happen on Monday um, at uh, around the same time, 9 o'clock Mountain Time, 11 o'clock Eastern Time, and we look forward to continuing to bring you uh, some of the best content, some of the best leaders, and some of the the best uh, inspiration um, as you continue to lead churches that are healthy and growing around the country. So thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Again, don't forget to sign up for the webinar on Wednesday if you haven't at spire.network slash webinars on embracing engagement. We look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks, Chris.